Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the seventh episode of The World of Heritage and a very special guest. My name is Stephanie, and here with me is Nilofar. We are students of the World Heritage Studies program at the Brandenburg Technical University. We started this podcast as our study project for this semester, querying the narrative course organized by our lecturer, Ms. Caitlin Williams. In each episode, we have a new guest from the BTU Heritage Community, and we have the opportunity to talk to another one of our very important member of our community, Helena Schiemann. Many of us already met Helena in person or got responses via email from her. Therefore, we do not want to miss it to introduce her a little bit more. In her school years, Helena participated in a school exchange program which gave her the opportunity to spend one year in Quebec, Canada. After she finished school, she then decided to study Canadistic at the University of Augsburg in Bavaria. During this time, she had the opportunity to do a semester abroad at the Carleton University in Ontario this city of Ottawa, also in Canada. After graduation, she worked as an academic employee at the University of Applied Sciences in Koblenz in 2016, and then she started her new position as an academic advisor and coordinator for the International Master Programs World Heritage Studies, Heritage Conservation and Site Management, and Urban Planning. She is therefore the main contact and support regarding any questions, problems, and other topics for the students, the lecturers, and in the heritage community within the university. Helena, we are really excited that you agreed a meeting with us so that we are able to share a little bit about your story with the members of the BTU heritage community. For almost one year, we have been struggling to follow the changes due to Corona and get used to the new circumstances. Therefore, we are really looking forward to hear your story. Now, let's start the first part of our questions. What exactly made you fall in love with Canada and why did you decide to study it after you finished school? Yeah, hello, first of all, and uh, thank you for having me on your podcast. I fell in love with Canada when I was there, actually. I wanted to do a high school year abroad and there were different options for different countries. And finally, for different reasons, I decided on Canada. And then when I was there, I really fell in love with it. And uh, especially with just how wide that country is. I, I used to live close to the St. Lawrence River. And that just is, we don't have that wide a river in, in Germany. And um, I really fell in love with that. And then when I got back home, I started thinking about what do I wish to study? And rather by chance, actually, I stumbled across a degree in Canadian studies at the University of Augsburg and decided right away that I was going to study this. And I went to my mom and I told her, I'm going to study this. And uh, she said, where could you study this? And I hadn't even looked up the place uh, or the university that I was had just decided to study it. Um, and so, um, yeah, I, I actually stuck with it and I enjoyed it greatly because it was a very interdisciplinary study program, quite similar with World Heritage in that sense. And we were a small group of students, but quite uh, close. So I, I had a great time. Great. When you decided to start working in a university environment, did you think that you might end up managing three international programs at the same time? Because it sounds like to be a very huge workload. How did it end up to that direction? 
I had a bit of a sense what I was getting myself into. I already worked for a long distance study program during my studies as a student assistant. So I rather, rather by accident, got into this field through my student job. And I, I really realized that I liked it a lot. And I, I saw from my former colleagues that it is a, a demanding job and uh, how much is involved in it. So I knew what, what I was getting myself into. Certainly at BTU with three study programs, it is quite a big task, but also a very challenging one. And I think it's important for me, it's very important to remember that I don't do this job alone, but that uh, I always work together with others, with Jennifer Muller from the student service, with the heads of the study programs, with my colleagues from the Bureau for International Studies, with the International Relations Office, etc., etc. So that makes a big job manageable. Thanks so much for sharing this with us. What part of your job do you like the most? Actually, I like the variety best. It never gets boring. Certainly after four years working at BTU, I, I, there are still new things happening all the time. And I, I get to do a lot of different things. I get to work with students, with lecturers, administration, and so forth. So um, the variety really makes it uh, exciting for me. Are there any significant changes in your daily work days right now during the pandemic? And in comparison to the way it before, uh, how these changes elaborated? And can you explain us these new differences in your work? Luckily for me, the transition has been rather smooth and the, the changes haven't been too big. Certainly, of course, at first, everything was very hectic and, and trying to figure out how things could actually work and, and how students could study. That was very hectic. But as such, working from home turned out to be fairly easy for me. And I've just recently gotten a, an even deeper appreciation for those colleagues who have families and who have these sort of other additional obligations to take care of because luckily I don't have to combine family with or most of the time I don't have to combine family with with my work working from home I can just focus on myself and and that makes it fairly easy in comparison to to others. Great. Can you tell us a funny experience which you made during your times as an academic advisor at the B2? Do you have something in mind? I mean, it, really, the funny things are the small things. And I, I said this once before in another context. It's, it's the little things that, that make me laugh every day. Just little misunderstandings or typos in emails or, you know, just, just everyday stuff is, is what, what makes me laugh. <laughs> Cool. So we are already finished with the first round of our questions. Let's have a short break and continue in a second. again in the second part of our podcast with our academic advisor Helena we are going to talk more about Cottbus 
Helena, uh, what do you like most about the city of Cotabuz? I've always liked medium-sized cities. So for example, I really liked Augsburg for that as well. And because it, it has a little bit of the big city, it has a theater, it has several cinemas, etc. But it's not that big that I could get, that, that I feel lost in it. And so that's also something I appreciate about Cottbus. Also the surrounding areas are so pretty and beautiful. And yeah, that's what I love about Cottbus. What is your favorite activity to do around the area you live? Normally, I love to go to the Staatstheater. So going to the theater is uh, one of my favorite activities. Of course, that's not happening these days. So uh, these days, it's more cycling around the Spreewald and around uh, Cottbus that uh, makes me very happy. Before the time of pandemic, what was your favorite bar or restaurants in Cottbus or which area do you recommend to new students coming to Cottbus to explore? My favorite is actually breakfast at Schiller Café uh, across from the Staatstheater. And it's, uh, it's also a very German type of breakfast. So I think that's something interesting to discover for international students. And during the summertime, just anything on the Altmarkt is, is great. And having ice cream on the Altmarkt is always wonderful and fun. I hope I can experience this soon as well. So for the new students coming to Cottbus, since there are not many possibilities to meet people and make friends right now, what is your advice? How can they get involved with the heritage community? I think my best advice is the student council. They're already organizing several events online. And I think going off of those events, can, you can meet others and, and then continue those connections through other ways. Also, if you have an idea for something that you would like to organize yourself, they're there to assist you. And of course, you can also get active yourself in the student council. And they're also international student groups. So for example, an Iranian student group or a Nigerian or an Indian. And, and these are, so there are different ways of, of getting engaged and meeting other people. And of course, once you have those connections, then meeting up online for a, a game or something like that is very easily done. Yeah, thank you so much for the great idea and advice. So we are done with the second part of our talk already and yeah, we will continue soon with the third part. Great, let's continue. Helena, what has the heritage of our heritage course been over the years? How this heritage study community changed Cottbus or BTU? Did it have any influence on the campus? Well, for me, the main heritage is a long folder of files on the server. And at times it's interesting to dive into those, those schedules from 10 years ago or something like that. So that's, that's, I personally find that fun. 
in the city, I've, I've see, witnessed several study projects in cooperation with the city. So, for example, a couple of years ago, there was an exhibition which moved around Cottbus, including in the city hall, and which showcased actually Cottbus heritage. And so I think that the study program has brought some awareness of just what heritage is around in, in Cottbus to the city. I think in, in both cases, it's helped to make the city and the university even more international and more interdisciplinary. Certainly, the first international study program at BTU was uh, Environmental and Resource Management, ERM, and they're certainly the biggest one. But while heritage studies adds to it the, the factor of cultural and social sciences, and also that it's... Um, it's more interdisciplinary. It integrates three different faculties. And I think that's, that's a great added factor here. What do you think makes the BTU heritage community so special? It's internationality because we really do have students from all over the world. And um, it's rare to have more than five students from the same country at the same time. And so everybody really has to challenge themselves um, to get out of their comfort zone, to get out of the circle of their nationality and really get in touch with others. I think that's, that's wonderful and uh, a very enriching experience as well. And of course, also the interdisciplinarity, once again. We do have students from so many different backgrounds and every time I think that I've seen it all, somebody comes around with a totally different degree that I had never heard of before and um, just makes it work and um, brings another facet to the idea of heritage. What nationality or undergrad program impressed you the most? It was never in your head but kept being at the program. The one that I always remember because it tripped me up the most uh, was a degree in law that a student had. She had a very classical law degree and I just saw that law degree and I figured where is the connection to heritage here? But uh, she had actually done her, ha had done some work about stolen artifacts during her studies on law. And of course, I mean, lawyers are needed everywhere. They're obviously needed in heritage as well. But having that interest in artifact made it all the more clear that she was perfect for the program and, and that she, she really fit in. Other than that, I think, once again, it's just the variety of, of degrees that I, I get to see and also how sometimes the same degree can entail something so different in different countries. So, for example, a degree in English might be completely literature based in one country and might be nothing but translation in another country, all the same title, but actually completely different things go into it. And that's uh, always interesting to see. Cool. So the internationality of the program is a strong part of our community, as you mentioned. Did you have the opportunity to also visit Deakin University or Helvan University at some point throughout the last couple of years as they are the joint um, universities for the programs, um, for the double degree program and the HCSM program? 
I've been to Deakin once um, in 2017. And we've had a few video conferences also. Of course, we, uh, we communicate with our colleagues via video conference, which is um, especially for Australia, um, very efficient and, and useful. Also with Deakin University, I think it's important to understand that there, the double degree is coordinated by Simona van Eyp. And I think she's been to, to Deakin uh, uh, more often than that. I've been to, to Helwan University repeatedly, especially also because with Egypt, we, don't only we not only have the cooperation with Helwan University, but for the third study program that I coordinate, Urban Design, Revitalization of Historic City Districts, we have a cooperation with Cairo University and with Alexandria University. So over the last years, I've, I've spent quite a bit of time in, in G Egypt, broadly speaking, maybe once per year going there. And it's always a great experience. I've also gotten to go to, to different places. Cairo is such an exciting city, but then Alexandria is really beautiful as well. That's something I, I greatly enjoy about my job, certainly. Although um, also travel for, for work is not leisure. <laughs> so I try to, uh, whenever I can, I try to combine it with also some personal time and, and vacation time, because otherwise it's just there and back again. And... As the heritage field has a quite tough job market, do you know some stories about where the people found jobs after graduation? Or what percentage of graduates make up that active alumni? Or what direction, if a university can help us with the job? I don't have percentages. Part of that reason is that not that many students participate in the alumni questionnaires. So here's to you guys. Uh, make sure once you graduate that you keep in touch with us and that you participate in, in the questionnaires so we know where you ended up. Also, the, of course, the second question is, what makes a job heritage related? And I think different alumni will view that question very differently. And some will have a very quite slim definition and others will have a broader definition. Alumni of uh, BTU have ended up all over the place. As I said, I don't have percentages, but I, I do hear, get to hear a lot of stories also from, from our lecturers, from our alumni organization, etc. And really, they've, they, they've gone everywhere. Uh, some gone into to architecture and into uh, rehabilitation of, of buildings. Others are actually working at World Heritage sites. Um, so, for example, uh, the new head of our alumni organization is working at the World Heritage uh, Coordination Center in Bamberg and so on and so forth. Um, I, I hope uh, you're maybe you're also going to talk to some alumni later on in your podcast, and I'm sure um, that they will be your best source of information about these questions. Yes, we have a three, at least three people on the list, graduates from HCSM and World Heritage Studies. So then we have like a variety. What would you recommend people searching for a job after graduation in the heritage field as it is a quite tough one? First of all, know your strength. So really think about what have you done so far, what, 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 what was your bachelor's in, what are you doing in your free time, social engagement, student jobs. As I mentioned earlier, I 
fell into my current job through my student job. Not everybody does that, but well worth thinking about. Think about your strengths and, and what you do well. Then think about what do you want? So do you need to stay in a certain region or can you just go anywhere in the world? What is your, do you want a job that is very specifically heritage or maybe even specifically world heritage or would you like to think that term more broadly and and, and also looked at related fields etc can you maybe also start with one or two in unpaid internships or do you need to earn money right away so think about these, these limitations that you have. If you have very strict limitations in one area, then you might have to be a little bit more flexible in the other. So if you need to stay in one specific area, then of course you might, and there isn't a World Heritage Site in that area, then working for a World Heritage Site might, might get difficult. And then, so, so think about all of these things and then be prepared for everything to go a different way. Be open and, and flexible and, and, uh, and just be open to whatever comes your way and, and, make, uh, and, and enjoy that. In my life, luckily, I've had, I, I have had this, this great, great luxury that it's just developed into what it is today and I enjoy it immensely. So I can only advise others to also be open to these things and to to seize opportunities where they arise. And last but not least, networking, networking, and networking. So if you can try to do internships or volunteering, or look back at um, the connections you had, maybe some, a lot of students had previous jobs. So think about those connections that you already have in those fields. Talk to your lecturers and be, be kind to them and, and be open to them. A lot of our lecturers have good connections and will be happy to share them with students who are engaged and active. Go to alumni events and talk to those alumni. They will be able to tell you more about where they got it. Great. Helena, what is your favorite World Heritage site and why? So I've, I've got two answers to that. The first is my favorite World Heritage site tends to be the one that the next study project is about. Um, so I get to read these wonderful descriptions of study projects about places like Florence or Scalic Michael and I read them and it sounds so wonderful and I just want to pack my bags and go there right away. I usually don't get to do that but um, it get, goes on my bucket list and um, I'm always jealous of the students who, who do their study projects and who get to there, go there. On a more personal level my favorite World Heritage site is Rideau Canal in, in Ottawa in Canada. Um, and I actually didn't know that it was a World Heritage Site when I felt, first fell in love with it. I, when I was doing my semester abroad at Carleton University, I would walk along the canal to university pretty much every day. And it was important to me to walk because it gave me a, a, an opportunity to, to reflect and uh, to, to have some time to myself and, and um, um, the 
the canal really helped me in in those uh, days and um, to just it's just a beautiful sight and Canada geese swimming along and everything so that's very picturesque and I always enjoyed that and then actually the first time I went there was during my um, high school year in in Quebec uh, when we did um, um, a, a day trip to Ottawa and one of the things we did was skate on the Rideau Canal because in the winter time they let out most of the water so that the rest freezes and then they've got a really really long ice ring throughout this entire city basically and they put on uh, put up huts right on the ice so you can eat beaver tails and drink hot chocolate while you're skating not this year because they're not putting up the huts, uh, but you can still go skating. At least that's the plan right now. So it's that's a magical experience. And I recommend, I wouldn't necessarily really recommend Ottawa in the wintertime, except for the Rideau Canal. <laughs> for the rest of the city, you have to go there during fall months, during Indian summer. Great. I really didn't know that the Rio de Canal is at the World Heritage Site, but it sounds so beautiful. I am a total winter girl, so I will. I would love to go skating. It's, it's really a great thing. Yeah, it's it's fascinating to be on the ice and and have huts and everything around. It's... So I think we have to leave you to work a little bit more. But it was really nice talking to you. Thanks again for taking the time. We know that it's really busy and probably also the planning for the next semester and everything. And we really loved having you with us and we learned a lot of interesting things about you, which we didn't know before. We also wish you all the best for your future at the BTU and hope that you stay with us in the program for much longer. Furthermore, we are really thankful for all the hard work you're doing every day to keep this program running and help us achieve our goals. As we already mentioned above, you are a really valuable member of this community and we are glad to have you. Thank you very much. It was a pleasure talking to you. Thank you also to you guys, wherever you are right now, for listening to our short talk with Helena. We really did enjoy our interview and we hope you feel the same way and you also learned some things about our heritage community member. Next episode, we will talk to another important person of our community. It will be our eighth episode of the World Heritage Podcast, and he will be Roger Negredo. He is from Barcelona, Spain. Roger lives the love for heritage in his everyday life and worked for the UNESCO department in Beirut, Lebanon, for a couple of months. By the way, did you already listen to the other podcasts we published? If not, you definitely need to do so. For also keeping up to date with our project, you can follow us on Instagram. Our name on social media is The World of Heritage. We would also appreciate your feedback. If you're interested in sharing your story on our podcast, feel free to contact us. You can find our email address in the description box below. Thanks again for listening and stay safe. Bye.